0: I'm glad we sang that song Ebenezer today, with Ebenezer in it, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, because that really is what we did on Friday. We set an Ebenezer, a reminder, something to keep our thoughts focused on what our purpose is uh, and why we are who we are. And it's all about the Word of God. It's all about His truth. It's all about obedience to Him and to His Word. And so it was. A, that was an appropriate song to sing, in light of that little video. Take your Bibles and turn with me, if you would, to, to the book of Jude, as we continue our study in this little book. The book, the study that was supposed to have lasted four sermons, we now come to the sixth today, and uh, we will hit a little lengthier passage than we have in days gone by, but. Uh, Hopefully, I'd, I'd hope to finish this before I went to Peru, so I would start the Gospel of John when I came back. We'll start the Gospel of John sometime in October, it looks like, at this point. So Jude chapter 1, the only chapter, and verse 8. Hear the word of the Lord. Yet in the same way, these men also, by dreaming, defile the flesh, and reject authority, and revile angelic majesties. But Michael the archangel, when he disputed with the devil and argued about the body of Moses, did not dare pronounce against him a railing judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these men revile the things which they do not understand and the things which they know by instinct like unreasoning animals. By these things they are destroyed. Woe to them! For they have gone the way of Cain, and for pay they have rushed headlong into the era of Balaam, and perished in the rebellion of Korah. These are the men who are hidden reefs in your love feast, when they feast with you without fear, caring for themselves, clouds without water carried along by winds, autumn trees without fruit, doubly dead, uprooted. (coughs) Wild waves in the sea casting up their own shame like foam. Wandering stars for whom the black darkness has been reserved forever. And we will stop with verse 13. Several things I want you to remember as we move into this passage today. Last Sunday, we we talked about what Jude said in verse uh, verse 5 when he simply said, I desire to remind you. I I desire to remind you certain things. In other words, I've told you these things before. We've been over this before. But but I do not want to let you forget it. I want to remind you of the things about the Word of God that are true. I want to to remind you about the things about authority that are true. I want to remind you about the things of of people moving among you who are seeking to uproot and seeking to deceive and even seeking to destroy. I want to remind you about those. And the real root, he said, of all problems within the church is the root sin of unbelief. And we talked about why that's important, why that is, why that is such a, 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 a beginning sin, if you will. When you begin with unbelief, it grows into all sorts of things. And all sin has its root, has its genesis in the whole concept of unbelief. In the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve sinned and, and ate of the forbidden fruit, it all began by Satan challenging them and saying, uh, have you, has God really said this? And and began to get them to doubt what God was saying. Well, yeah, God said we eat of any fruit except this one because we eat of it, will die. And Satan said, oh, you'll die? Is that what he said? Well, surely you won't die, but if you eat of that fruit, you'll become like him. You'll become like God. And so that seed of disbelief, that, that seed of unbelief was planted in their minds, and it led into all manner of sin, which affected the entire race, the entire human race. Well, it's the same way in our lives we, we've talked about. Most, not most of our sin, but all of our sin. All of our disobedience to God begins with a with unbelief. It begins with this, just that, that twinge of, of distrust in God. Has God really said? And has he really meant that when he said this about my life and about how I'm to be? You know, if, if no one ever, even with. David in his sin with Bathsheba. David didn't rise up that morning and say, you know, I think I'll be unfaithful to my wife. I think I'll commit adultery with Bathsheba or some woman, any woman, anywhere. But rather, he, he woke up and was not believing God to be doing what he had been called to do, be the king out on the battlefield. He was back home taking care of his own needs. He didn't trust God to do what God had called him to do. And so because of that, it set in motion a chain of events. His disbelief led to the sin of adultery with Bathsheba same way in our day we don't set out to steal we don't set out to lie we don't set out to do any number of things that we find ourselves doing but the reason we do is because we just disbelieve God God said don't lie and we say well God it, you know you say don't lie and you say you'll see us through whatever circumstance we find ourselves in but you know there are times Lord when it just seems better to lie and God says no I said don't lie And so we begin to weigh in our own mind, is God telling the truth or is our way better? And that's what's happening in these false teachers that have infiltrated the church that Jude talks about, who have come in, crept in unnoticed, but who are ungodly persons who are turning the grace of God into licentiousness, turning it into something that was never intended to be and that it is not. But sin, we found out last week, sin always begins with disbelief. And, and what Jude is doing here is just continuing that idea of I want to remind you, I desire to remind you. As a matter of fact, all the way through verse 16 uh, rest under that statement, I desire to remind you. He, he takes it a step further this week. He, he illustrates what he said last week with some very emphatic illustrations from Old Testament history, Old Testament uh, uh, books, and, and really focuses on three things in verse 8. He focuses on three sins that are sort of magnified because of these false teachers disbelief. Now we live in a day where false teaching is rampant. We've we talked about that. We've looked at it. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you from time to time, and I'll say it again, that, that, that most of what passes as Christian television and Christian radio is dangerous for your health, spiritually speaking, because it's error. It, it's man-exalting. It's, it's man ingrandizing, and it's, it's just not the gospel. and and so we have to be careful we have to watch that and and jude is telling us to watch that and then in verse 8 he says yet in the same way these men in other words that is a, a connecting phrase that says just like what I've been talking about with with Sodom and Gomorrah and the angels who wouldn't keep their own domain and and people coming out of the land of Egypt just in the same way as their sins these men that now have crept in among you are doing much of the same thing doesn't mean they're the exact sins but it means that the way those sins were led to by disbelief, unbelief, then in the same way, these men are, are polluting the body by their own sin because they didn't believe God. They don't believe God. They don't trust Him. They don't obey Him. That's the problem that Judas concerned about. And he, talks, he starts out by talking about really three sins that he focuses on in verse 8. Matter of fact, in verse 8, he gives you the essence of all six of these verses we're looking at, and and then he just illustrates it for the rest of the verses pretty much, or pretty clearly. And, And those three sins are this. He says, first of all, in the same way these men also, by dreaming, defile the flesh, reject authority, and revile angelic majesties. Now, notice here, the key problem with these three sins is the concept of dreams. Jude says that by dreaming, now dreams are not in of themselves evil. I had some really strange dreams last night, as a matter of fact, but I won't go into them. They had nothing to do with spiritual things; they were just weird dreams. And I would await There's no, there's no sin in dreaming in itself, but these dreams were were problematic because these false teachers are appealing to them and they're appealing to them and saying, I had this dream, and that dream, I believe, was from God, and so since I had that dream that's from God, it has some divine authority, it has some divine justification, and they're carrying out saying, we are doing what we're doing because of these dreams. Th- they were saying, basically, that their dreams was revelatory; They were the source of, res- of revelation, and thus they were the justification for their lifestyle. You ever know anybody like that? may not have been a dream a literal dream they had but th- they they have an imagination and in their imagination they they sort of imagine what God would say not not what he actually has said in his word not what his actual revealed truth is but they just say you know I, I think God would would say this is okay and sort of a dreaming in their own imagination rejecting what God has said and saying, but, but I really believe I have this from God as an authoritative thing that I can do this or do that. I wish I had $1,000 for every time in the past 30 years or so of ministry that someone has come into my office and sat there and said, you know, I just believe God is telling me to do this, typically to leave my spouse. Uh, typically to abandon the family. You know, I, I just really believe that, that that's what God wants for me, that that's God's plan for me. That's, that's God's will in my life. And, and I sit there and I say, I've even asked this question, are you dreaming? You know, are, are you imagining this? Are you are you dreaming this up from somewhere? Well, no, no, we've just, I've prayed about it, and, and I just really believe that that's what God wants me to do. And then I take them to the passage of Scripture that talks about the permanency of marriage, the importance of marriage, the, the sanctity of marriage, and they say, well, yeah, I see it says all that, but I believe God has led me contrary to that. And that's what these people were doing. They were saying, listen, we're, we're having these dreams, and and in those dreams, God is telling us all sorts of things. <laughs> they're exciting things. They're different things. They're, 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 not in the, they're, they're not in the straight and narrow like you guys at, at the church that Jude was talking to. They're not like what you want to see things lined out. and laid. They're giving me all sorts of freedom in my personal life. And Jude said those dreams, those imaginations, those ideas are leading them into three specific sins. Dreams are not revelatory in the sense of they contradict or they can lead you to disobey God's word. You understand that? That's that's really important. That's really vital. Saying that God led me to do something can never, ever contradict God's word. If it contradicts God's word, it didn't come from God. And so that's why I have a little saying I always use, you've heard me use it, that we must judge our experiences and our desires by God's word, not judge God's word by our experiences and our desires. Get those reversed, and you've got, uh, uh, you've got calamity on your hands. You've got real problems on your hands. So they were dreaming. They were saying, this is what God is, is showing me in my sleep. And so he says three things are happening. First of all, you're defiling the flesh. Defiling the flesh is is sort of a, a a Greek statement of saying they were involving themselves in sexual sin outside of marriage, but they were saying it's okay why we know god's word says like in hebrews uh, let the marriage bed be undefiled and we know that that in other places god says it's one man one woman and and that relationship is to be for all time and and you're to build on that relationship we know that we know god's word says that we know the apostolic teaching says that but hey we've had a dream that says it's okay for us to involve ourselves in extramarital premarital and and and, and marital whatever uh sexual involvement and and Jude says, listen, these false teachers, they want to have, they want party, they want to have an exciting time, they want to, they want to expand their freedom, but freedom that comes from disobedience to God is no freedom at all. Freedom that comes from disobedience to God is no freedom at all. It's slavery, it's bondage, whether it's in Jude's day or our day. And, and so these were dreaming, and in their dreams they were saying, okay, we can, uh, we we can go out and do whatever we want to do uh, in the flesh, and he says they're defiling the flesh. They're making it putrid. Is the literal meaning of that word defile? They're 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 causing the flesh to to be rotten. They're causing the flesh to be poisonous in their own lives by disobeying God. Second sin he says is they reject authority. They reject authority. Now, I don't, I don't think Jude is really concerned about here whether they say, well, I'm not going uh, I'm, I'm to obey the speed laws and I'm going to speed. That's an authority that says don't and I'm going to do it. I don't think he's concerned about even here paying your taxes on time and in a timely manner. I don't think that's what he's talking about here. I think the authority he's talking about here is by their dreams, they are rejecting the authority of Christ, the authority of God. They're rejecting his sovereignty. They're rejecting his lordship. They're rejecting his his authority over their lives and over the life of the church and and his authority to reign supreme. They're saying, listen, we don't want to give in to the lordship of Christ according to the word because we have now been given this, this dream, this idea, and in that dream it says we can do what we want to do. So defiling the flesh, they also rejected the sovereignty of God. They re- rejected the lordship of Jesus Christ. They rejected the whole concept of there to be men and women who are under authority at all times. You know, that's really why we planted that Bible in the foundation, in the, in the slab last Friday. It was not just to be cute. Oh, that'll be cute to have a box with the Bible in it. We can always say, there's a Bible under here. But it's there to remind us that we are constantly under the authority of God's Word. That our message is always to be what Romans 1, 16 and 17 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For the gospel is the power of God for salvation for those who believe. I mean, I, I, mean, I don't have a lot to offer except the gospel. We don't have a lot to, to give apart from the gospel. But that is foundational. And when you believe the gospel, when you find yourself under the authority of God's word, then there is not a rejection. There's a belief. There's a faith. There's a trust that goes far deeper than anything you can think of. And and then he says the third sin is, and it's a little strange one. uh, It's kind of an unusual statement. He says they defile the flesh, they reject authority, and they revile angelic majesties. They revile angelic majesties. There are several ways that's been interpreted. One is they curse the angels. They, uh, they deny God's messengers any place in the ministry of, of God's word, God's church, God's people. But most commentators, most Greek scholars, really believe that it's, it's talking about something much more human. That it's talking about rejecting or or reviling or speaking against not just the angels, their messengers up there, but the messengers down here. Because you realize angelic is a word that literally is angelos, which means messenger. It's just a messenger and so most commentators will say that what is happening here, it's not just a cursing of the heavenly messengers, but it's also a reviling of human messengers, human leaders that God has appointed for the church. So they defile the flesh and sexual sin, they reject the authority and the sovereignty of God, and then they also say, and we want, we want nothing to do with leaders on this earth, those whom God has appointed, apostles, teachers, pastors, uh, evangelist out of Ephesians chapter 4 what we, we do we to do with that we want to do our own thing you see, that's where, that's where disbelief that's where unbelief always leads folks the whole concept of walking with Christ is the concept of believing God the, the whole concept of walking the Christian walk is believing him trusting him and abiding in him in all that he does then in verse 9, the verse you've all been waiting for me to get to. And you're going to be real disappointed with what I have to say. But Michael, the archangel. Now, Michael is mentioned throughout Scripture as one of the authorities uh, among the angels. An archangel talks about his authoritative place, his his rank among the angels. He's, a, he's, the, he's sort of the general, if you will, of the angels. But Michael, the archa- archangel... When he disputed with the devil and argued about the body of Moses, did not dare pronounce against him a railing judgment, but said, "The Lord rebuke you." Now I don't. I, I hope if you, as you've read Jude that you've looked very diligently in the scriptures to find the account of where uh, Michael argued and contended with the devil over the body of Moses because if you are you're still looking it's not there in the scripture as a matter of fact it's the only thing we have about the the body of Moses is is at the end of of his journey before the people in the promised land it says Moses died and who buried him God buried him there was no human being to observe it there's nobody watching it to to see the body laid to rest it just says God buried him now i probably use Michael or one of his angelic beings, but, but God buried Moses at the end of his journey before the people went into the promised land. There's no mention in scripture about Michael and the devil arguing over the body of Christ. There's no argument about it. Some say that this comes from uh, some of the early Talmud um, uh, tradition, that, that in the Talmud it talks about Satan wanting the body of Moses because his claim on him was that Moses was a murderer. Moses killed the Egyptian soldier. Remember that? And then he fled into the wilderness long before he came back and led the children of Israel out. And, and so the Talmud talks about how because he was a murderer that Satan made claim to his body uh, and to his soul, that, that Satan said, no, he's mine. He's a murderer. But we know that the grace of God and the power of God and the forgiveness of God is greater than any sin when one repents, and there's evidence that Moses repented of that sin as he followed God to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt. But the Talmud says there was this argument because the devil said he's mine, and Michael said no, he belongs to God, and they they wrangled over the thing. Whatever it is, there is no extant, there's no existing manuscript that tells us what that says, uh, that that event took place. Now, Jude knew something about it, wherever it came from. I don't know whether Jude thought it was actual history, that the thing went, went to, uh, they, they battled over the body of Moses, or I don't know whether he, he used it as a parable, or he, he saw it as, a, as just a parabolic illustration. I'd, I don't know why Jude chose to throw it in here, uh, except that the real point he wants to make is there at the end. Even Michael... The the highest of all the angels, the archangel Michael, the one who, who led the messengers of God, the angels of God, even Michael didn't look at Satan in all of his evil, in all of his sin, of all of his disobedience to God. Even Michael, in all of his obedience, didn't look at Satan and say, I rebuke you, Satan. Get out of here. Moses doesn't belong to you. He's mine. He didn't say that. He said, even Michael didn't give a railing judgment. But he said, the Lord rebuke you that's a prayer it's a prayer Michael said it's not my power it's not my authority it's not my strength by which Satan can be rebuked but it's the Lord's It basically says Lord the Lord rebuke you the Lord's authority is over you the Lord's power is over you and because of that Michael won the battle, whatever that battle was. But the whole point he's wanting to say here, wanting to show us is is really, if Michael would not cast judgment, if Michael would not declare judgment against even Satan, how much more are we dependent on the wisdom, the power, and the authority of God, and not our own, in spiritual battle? We just don't have it. That's why in, in the midst of whatever spiritual battle we find ourselves in, no matter where Satan is trying to get us to disbelieve God and and follow in some wrong direction, our authority is not to say, well, we'll stand against you, Satan. Put them up. Say, hey, my authority is nothing. My power is nothing. But I stand in the authority and the power and the strength of the Lord May the Lord rebuke you. May the Lord stop you. May the Lord shut you up from trying to lie and lead me into sin because of disbelief. Then he goes on in verse 10. And he says, but these men, he's back to those false teachers again in the church have slipped in, crept in. These men revile the things they do not understand and the things which they know by instinct, by unreasoning animals, by these things they are destroyed. Things they know by instinct. Like unreasoning animals. Our instincts are colored by and fueled by the fall. Understand that. Our instincts, what we do instinctively, is, is apart from the lordship of Christ, those instincts are to do what is disobedient to God. It always will be. Always will be. You know, and that's why our conscience is not so good a guide if it's not bathed in and covered by the Lordship of Christ and the authority of Scripture. Our conscience is, 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 is not totally destroyed, but our conscience is somewhat polluted by the fall. And we're all, we're all recipients of that. And so he says, these men... They do the things they, they just do instinctively. They're like unreasoning animals. They, they pursue their own desires, their own wants, what they think is right in their own eyes, and they speak against things they don't understand. That would be the truth of God's Word. And then verse 11. As he comes to these last three verses, he, he uses that word woe. Woe to them. That's a a statement of judgment. You heard it in in the prophets in the Old Testament. They would say, woe be to you uh, false teachers of Israel. You you hear it in in Jesus when he says, woe to you, you scribes and Pharisees who who try to tithe every bit of the the law and take every bit of the law. You tied down to the mint and and the, the most minute things of the law, and yet you miss doing justice. You miss the real way, the Lord's way. Woe to you. It's a statement of judgment. He said, woe to them for they have gone the way of Cain and, they, and for pay they have rushed headlong into the air of Balaam and perished in the rebellion of Korah. Now in that one verse, man, he encapsulates just about the, the three worst scenarios in, in Old Testament history just to illustrate what they're like. He says they're like Cain. I don't think it necessarily means they're murderers, like Cain murdered his brother Abel. But, but what it is, of course, Cain's main sin was murder, I'm sure, and, and we would see that. But he's probably chosen by Jude in this passage as an example of a person who chose wickedness over goodness. You remember the story? Cain came and offered his offering of, of grain, and, and, and Abel came and offered his animal sacrifice before the Lord, and it says the Lord was displeased with Cain's sacrifice. He, he did not accept it. He rejected it, and so instead of repenting, as he should have, and said, Lord, I repent. You told me it, it should have been a blood sacrifice. I repent of that, and I'll bring another sacrifice to you. Instead of that, he got angry at his brother because his brother's was accepted, and he murdered his brother, When God rejected his sacrifice, instead of repenting, he killed his brother. That's, that's, that's sort of one of those you know, things by instinct and reviling the things which are not understood. So Cain chose wickedness over goodness. These false teachers were choosing wickedness over goodness, obviously. And then he talks about the era of Balaam. Uh, he says, you know, the era of Balaam that, that they have... Uh, they do it for pay, and by that, because of that, they've rushed headlong into the era of Balaam. Numbers 20, uh, chapters 22 through 24 talk about the, the episode with Balaam, and I'm not going to go into that uh, because we're of time element, but you remember that Balaam uh, cursed the Israelites because he was paid to do it. Uh, he was supposed to be a prophet. He was supposed to speak the truth. He was supposed to uh to care for the, the, the people of Israel, but instead for money, for for pay, he said, Well, sure, I'll curse. And and because of that, he had his donkey rebuke him. It's pretty bad when your donkey rebukes you. That's exactly what happened. He sought financial reward rather than obedience to God. It it seems that these false teachers were kind of like. Balaam, in that they were traveling around and their desire was to make money off the people of God. Uh, not, not feed the people, not teach the people truth, not care for the people. They just came in, wanted a love offering, and left. You can almost make some, not almost, you can make some, I think, contemporary uh, illustri- or application of that. And then the third thing that he uses illustration about these false teacher is it says they not only have gone the way of Cain, they've not only rushed headlong into the era of Balaam, but they have perished in the rebellion of Korah. Uh, you remember Korah? He was a priest, and, and, and he led some of the people to rise up against Moses and, and Joshua and say, hey, who are you to lead us? We, we know just as much as you do. We're, we're just as much God's people as you are. Why do we have to follow you? Why do we have to believe you? And they rose up in rebellion against them, and what happened? God destroyed them. And I think Jude uses perished in the rebellion of Korah just as an illustration uh, to emphasize the judgment that's in store for the false teachers that had moved in unaware and sought to deny the word, sought to bring glory to man rather than glory to God. He he illustrates this further by... um, in verses 12 and 13, just by a flurry of descriptions. He said, These are the men who are hidden reefs in your love feast when they feast with you without fear. Uh, hidden reefs, the, the picture there is of of rocks or reefs that are in a harbor and a ship's trying to come in for safe harbor at the love feast at the time when the church gathered together, they ate a meal, and they usually consummated that meal with the Lord's Supper, like we, we'll do tonight, we'll observe the Lord's Supper together. And so, so these false teachers are like rocks, like reefs in the harbor. When the ship is trying to come in for safe harbor, they destroy the ship. And if not dealt with, that's what these false teachers would do. He says they're caring for themselves. No doubt a, a, an allusion back to Ezekiel 24, excuse me, 34.2 where Ezekiel talks about there are shepherds who are not looking out for the care of the flock, not looking out for the people of Israel. They're just looking out for themselves. Shepherds who are feeding upon themselves, feeding themselves and not feeding the people. And these false teachers just want what they want and take care of themselves rather than caring for the people. They're, they're clouds without water. What good is a cloud without water? It's, it's useless. It's, it's barren. They are, they are clouds without water. They're carried along by the winds. All they can do is just float about. They're autumn trees without fruit. They're doubly dead and they're uprooted. They're wild waves. They make a lot of noise, no doubt. They're wild waves of the sea casting up their own shame like foam. Now, I've been watching the sea a lot these last couple of days, as you probably have too. But I've got a daughter in New York City, and so I've kind of been curious about how that Hurricane Irene, which is an interesting name for a hurricane because Irene comes from the Greek, from the word that means peace. It's an interesting irony there, I think. But I've been watching the the waves. I've been watching. I got up this morning. First thing I did, turn on the weather channel, see what was happening. And they showed the the bear uh, the, the the park there at uh, at uh, on the south part of Manhattan. And they showed the waves just bursting against it, and foam all around from the waves. I mean, it was just it it was it was foaming up. It says these people are like wild waves. They make a lot of noise. They scare a lot of people. They shake up a lot of things, but they really just cast up their own shame like foam. Foam has no use. Foam has no value. Foam is just a byproduct of really stirring things up in a somewhat negative manner. And that's what these people are like. They're wandering stars for whom the black darkness has been reserved forever. They're another, another Imagery, if you will, to judgment and the eternality of that judgment. Reserved darkness, black darkness, reserved forever. You know, the thing about Jude is, and I think the, the thing Jude wanted his people listening to this, or reading this letter, the thing he wanted them to hear and the thing he wants you and I to hear are exactly the same thing. And that is false teaching. Is a cancer. False teaching that breaks from the Word of God in any way, seeks to glorify man rather than glorifying God, seeks to reduce the power of the cross, seeks to reduce the effectiveness of the gospel, seeks to do any of these things, any of that, is false teaching. And it's detrimental to the body of Christ. And it's detrimental to individual believers. That's why we're called to discernment. That's why we're called to be in this word constantly, to be, be feeding upon this word, to be, to be feasting upon this word, knowing what God has said, so that when someone comes along as a reef in the harbor of your life, seeking to shipwreck you in your faith and your understanding of God and God's truth, you'll be able to say, No, that is not true. No, your dreams and your visions and your ideas are contrary to what God has said. And I'm going to believe God rather than to believe you. So Everything I say in this pulpit, now, you know, we talked about this before, everything I say in this pulpit, I don't want you just to go out of here and say, oh, wow, Bill said that's true. That must be true. I want you to trust me. But, but I want you to go back and say, boy, if Bill said that, let me... I want to see what God's Word. I want to be sure what Bill... I don't want Bill give me any of his ideas. I don't want to give you any of my ideas. I don't want to give you any of my opinions. I've got a lot of opinions. And, and I quite honestly think my opinions are pretty good. Whether they be political opinions or, or, or opinions on how you ought to live your life. I mean, I've got some great opinions. But those opinions are worth nothing unless they're verified by the Word of God. They're worth nothing unless God's Word has thus said. And so if you hear Bill Haynes standing in this pulpit and giving his opinion, then you ought to say, Bill, wait a minute, would you show me that in the Word first? And if I can't, you ought to rebuke me for it because I have left the responsibility that God has given to me. My job's not to take this Word and Fancy it up and make it more relevant. It's not to cook it any different. It's just to deliver what God has has cooked. Just a waiter to bring you what God has said. And, And in our day, we live in a day of unbelievable false teachers, unbelievable reefs in our harbors. We must be discerning. We must be discerning. We must follow God's truth. We must say, the Lord has said. Not I have said, not I have dreamed, not I have thought, not I believe, apart from God's word. I trust what God has said. And by his grace and by the power of his Holy Spirit, I going to seek obedience to that in everything I do. Because this, and this alone, is the word of God. Let's pray together. Father, we ought to be able to look around us and discern who the false teachers are. By their immorality. By their rejecting the authority of your word, your sovereignty, your lordship. And by speaking against the things that your word says are important. The the leaders, the the angelic messengers and the, the messengers, the leaders you've placed here in human form. For the body. Reviling without cause. But reviling cause to cause call attention to themselves and authority for themselves. Father, teach us that truth. Teach us that discernment. Teach us that teach us to walk in your truth above everything else. Father, we thank you that you have given us your revelation. In Jesus Christ, the living word, and in the scriptures, the written word, that you have manifested yourself to us in ways that we would never have figured out because our imagination would have led us different from who you are. Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your truth. Thank you, o Lord, for your presence among us. Lord, I pray for men and women here this morning who may not know you. I pray your Holy Spirit will draw them to faith in Christ. I pray for others who need to just deal with some things with you in their life, where they're sitting, where they're standing in a moment. just, Lord, I pray you will deal with them and they will respond in repentance and, and confession to you as need be. Father, I pray you lead all of us to renewed commitment to your truth. For this is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.